from the University of Notre Dame. This is With a Side of Knowledge. I'm your host, Ted Fox. Before the pandemic, we were the show that invited scholars, makers, and professionals out to brunch for informal conversations about their work. And we look forward to being that show again one day. But for now, we're recording remotely to maintain physical distancing. If you like what you hear, you can leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks for stopping by. Deb Amlin is the head writer and senior editor of Wordplay, the crossword column of the New York Times, where she'll teach you how to be a better solver while also making you laugh. She's particularly well-suited to this work. The author of the humor book, It's Not PMS, It's You, Deb got her start in crosswords making puzzles for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and other newspapers. She's also been a senior columnist for Yahoo Tech, where she wrote the humor column Buzzology, and was on the original constructing team that made crosswords for the Onions AV Club. We connected for this episode because Deb was gracious enough to take some time for me, one of those ill-fated souls who love solving, or more accurately, attempting to solve, the New York Times crossword puzzle most days of the week. Our conversation wound its way from puzzles as a form of creative expression, and even a metaphor for handling the challenges of life, to more practical matters like how crosswords are constructed, and strategies for getting better at them. And on that getting better note, let me just say, beware the rebus. Deb Amlin, welcome to With a Side of Knowledge. Well, thank you, Ted. Thank you for having me here. So if puzzles were celebrities, the New York Times crossword would definitely be an A-lister. But I'm guessing not as many people know there is a daily column associated with it, which, which you write that column. So what is wordplay and what kinds of things do you write about there? Well, first of all, thank you very much for increasing awareness of wordplay. <laughs> we, uh, we were getting ready to have a telethon, but uh, now we, we clearly don't need that. Now that we're on a, with a side of knowledge. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, anyway, wordplay is officially the crossword column of the New York Times. Uh, there is a daily crossword that everybody knows about, but what a lot of people, particularly newer solvers, might not know is that there is a daily column that goes with it where we uh, try to explain the puzzle for those who need the help. We talk about what kind of clues you can expect to see in the puzzle. We explain the theme. Once in a while, if something comes up, uh, I will tell a story about my life, like the charging pig story, which people won't let me forget. And, you know, we're, we're there just there to support the solvers because we believe that everybody can learn to do the New York Times crossword. So what is the charging pig story? I don't, so I'm going <laughs> to make you tell it now that you've run it up. No, that's, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> but uh, no, we, Wordplay's motto is we're here to help you solve. And uh, as a, I'm a humor writer by trade, so we try to make the columns or at least some of them funny, because I, I also think that people learn better when they're laughing. Sure. Agreed. I, I don't know that crossword solvers, or at least casual solvers like myself, and I would put it, I, especially uh, being at home during the pandemic, I've really gotten back into a better rhythm of it, at least attempting it every day, and we'll get to some of my struggles there a little bit later, but I I don't know that people, at least the casual solvers among us, 
spend a lot of time thinking about crossword puzzles as acts of creative expression on the people who are putting them together. I think it's very easy to look at them like clue, letters, squares, that's it. Right. People tend to look at the crossword uh, as a two-dimensional, joyless, you know, they, they sit down to do a crossword like they're sitting down to, uh, to take the SAT, you know, with a light coating of sweat. Uh, and that's really not what it is. It's a game and games are meant to be fun. So what we try to do is, is break down that wall of intimidation that exists between solvers and the New York Times crossword and show them that they can do it. Uh, and when, it's really great because once that happens, people seem to apply that to other areas of their life. You know, they realize that most issues, like most crossword puzzles, can be broken down into very manageable chunks. If you look at a blank crossword grid, the first feeling you probably feel is your stomach and knots going, oh my God, I can't do this. <laughs> right. Uh, but once you get that first entry, that first gimme that you absolutely know, you're in. Right. And you're managing a an issue one chunk at a time. And that really does translate into life's problems. Right. Sifting through an inbox would be one, be one that comes to mind. There so, is no such thing as inbox zero. I'm sorry. There, there is not, no. So... I think it's especially cool, and one of the cool things that you do with wordplay is you will point out sometimes with these either a theme for a puzzle. I know, for instance, there was one recently that you, you use the opportunity of wordplay to explain there was a Ruth Bader Ginsburg theme to the puzzle, but then the actual puzzle creator had a connection and story. I mean, can you tell that one or, or any other recent examples that are because it, it is really just kind of this creative thing and, and to remind us that, oh, no, there is a human being behind this putting it together. Oh, it's most definitely an art form. It's an art form to edit a puzzle. The Ruth Bader Ginsburg puzzle was one of my favorites in, uh, in recent solving. Uh, it was done by a man whose wife as a child, had listened to uh, a lecture from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and Justice Ginsburg had said something to her, and I'm sorry, I, I apologize, I can't remember what it was, uh, that, you know, helped her through her adulthood. And so the puzzle, while it was about Justice Ginsburg, also was sort of a love letter to his wife, which I thought was very sweet. And with every, most columns, we have a section called constructor notes. And that is a part that the puzzle maker or constructor writes and tells us a little bit about themselves, about how the puzzle was made. I mean, they can go off into a million different directions, but there's usually something about the puzzle. And he told us the stories, which I thought was just charming. And uh, I enjoyed it a lot. But most people do think that crosswords are made by computers. I, that's changed a lot with the movie Wordplay, mm -hmm. which came out in 2005. I think people began to realize that when they opened their newspapers to the crossword puzzle page, it's not something that just suddenly grew in there. <laughs> uh, right. It didn't just sprout. And we got to meet Merle Regal, who was one of the best and a, a creative genius. I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't contain it in him. It literally came out his pores. <laughs> and um, all the other, a lot of, quite a few other constructors. And, but it was mostly a love letter to solvers. 
I think. Um, And what happens is that the constructors tend to be, most people don't read bylines. I don't know if you've noticed that. I have. Um, So they don't notice that there is a name attached to each crossword. Right. That bothered me. And I wanted to bring the creators of the puzzles out in front of the audience, so to speak, a little bit more. I mean, everybody knows that Will Schwartz edits the New York Times crossword puzzle, and he is the face of the puzzle. But I wanted people to meet the people behind it, because I felt that, well, first of all, many of them are my friends, and I think they're (laughs) eminently worth knowing. Right. And I also felt that if you are going to really enjoy crossword puzzles, it really helped to meet the people, get used to their styles. And I thought that people should have favored constructors in the same way that you like certain musicians and tend to collect their music or actors and you go and see their films or their plays. And I thought it would be so neat if, you know, people could meet someone like Byron Walden and get to know his puzzles and be able to associate a face with the name. I had that experience just last night and I, her first name is Stella. Her last name begins with a Z. Stella, Stella Zawistowski. Yes. And I was, and I had that experience last night when I went to do it, I was like, Oh, I remember Stella's last puzzle. And I really liked it. I wondered like, and immediately felt like, and I had read her kind of interview about how she views constructing. And I was like, Oh, I feel like I not necessarily that it makes it easier, but I feel like I have a sense of that puzzle then before I even go into it, which is very cool. It's a lot like buying a piece of art from an artist that, you know, that you get a chance to meet. Uh, I think that it's it's a wonderful thing. And that's why we, we have a monthly feature on Wordplay called Who Made My Puzzle. Today, we have a new one that just came out. Um, and the spotlight this month shines on Kevin Christian, who is another one of our constructors. Uh, so they are interviewed and we get to know a little bit about their lives, about their views of puzzles, about which computer software they might use. And there's usually a, a portrait on top of, of the constructor. So you have a face, a name, and you get to know a little bit about them, like you've sat down to right. have a cup of coffee with them. Right. So we're talking a little bit now about puzzles themselves. Uh, so your June 24th wordplay, you started by writing, many solvers ask how they're supposed to know when there's funny business going on in the grid. And this was so encouraging to me because I thought I was the only person thinking, man, how am I supposed to know when there's funny business going on in the grid? One example of these sorts of shenanigans is called a rebus. And for the uninitiated, what is a rebus? A rebus, well, traditionally, a rebus can be any symbol or a number or a group of letters in a crossword puzzle. That's a rebus as it refers to crossword puzzles. There are other kinds of rebus puzzles, but when you are talking about a crossword, a rebus most often means that there's something in the square besides a single letter. It could be a symbol, it could be a number. Very often and most often, I would say, it would be a group of letters. Getting back to your question and how it made you feel better, I'm really glad you told me that because one of the things that I work the hardest at is to make people understand that they're not alone. 
and right. that there's nothing odd about what they might be thinking. There's there's no problem with cursing at the crossword. <laughs> you know, it's 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 an adversary, and you have to take it down. But the question I get most often is, why didn't you tell us? <laughs> and that's it's such an odd question to me because it's a puzzle. You're supposed to figure <laughs> that out, <laughs> right? Well, no, I just and I I told you in when we were trading emails building up to this. It it was such a satisfying feeling. I think it was the Sunday, July fifth puzzle, and it was there was a a down clue in it that was tick all the boxes, and it was a rebus where when you were I think it was when you were going across you needed the the words T I C K for tick or it might have been reverse of this, and then when you were going down it was well it's a box, and so like you'd have the word like soap box going one way, and then tickle something going the other way and when it was the first time in my life that I got one of these without revealing it and it was such a uh-huh. you're right I mean the feeling of it is like oh my gosh I'm I'm the smartest man in the world I just figured this out but it's such a great feeling isn't that great I I think that's wonderful I it's funny when I started writing wordplay I was kind of rebus blind <laughs> I did not recognize rebus as well maybe because I don't have a great <laughs> sense of spatial relationships. But I developed a theory after a while. And my theory is this, if you are trying to get into the puzzle and you're not having a lot of success and you find that you've gotten to the point where you're hurling invectives at the puzzle, it's most likely a rebus. <laughs> Say that's good advice. So the times puzzle gets progressively more difficult as, as the week goes on. Is there a certain day of the week where something like that becomes fair game or should we be prepared for it at on any given day i'm going to answer this first the way will shorts would want me to answer it (laughs) and then i'm going to tell you how i feel fair that's fair good disclaimer will holds that the puzzles don't have a special day for tricks but that Each day is just one harder than the next. And that's true a lot of the time. However, I have noticed (laughs) that uh, the days when there are those high wire tricks in puzzles are most likely to be found on Thursdays. And that's Mm. why when Thursday comes about and there is such a trick, I will write, remember, it's Thursday. (laughs) That's how you know. Because even though Thursday is in the middle of the week, Friday and Saturdays don't run with a theme. So they're trickier, but they're trickier in a different way. And surprisingly, Sunday is not the hardest day of the week. It's just larger. Right. And I I was going to ask you that, and that's definitely been my experience, is that there's times when the, the Saturday puzzle can feel darn near impossible. And I always feel like, I have more of an entry into the Sunday puzzle, but the Sunday puzzle is massive. I mean, it's just sprawling. Yeah. And I, and, and I mean, I, I know it's, we, we talk about, it. it's an art of creative expression and creating a puzzle. So it, it's not a scientific formula, but do you have a sense of, in terms of the difficulty, just cl- on a clue by clue basis of a Sunday puzzle, does that track with any earlier day in the week to you? Or is a Sunday puzzle kind of its own thing? Well, I was going to say, to get back to when you can expect to start seeing those tricks, 
Thursday is the big day, but you might also see them on Wednesday because that's when you start to see the sort of trickier clues, more question marks. We've even had a couple of Rebus puzzles on Wednesdays now. So my rule when doing a puzzle edited by Will Shorts is expect <laughs> anything. <laughs> and I think that's just sage advice. You can't get mad because nobody told you the answers to the puzzle. Right. Or that the, there was a trick in the puzzle. You're supposed to figure that out. And look how look how much better you feel when you did. Right. You know, uh, but the Sunday puzzle itself, as far as I know, is supposed to be midweek difficulty. So I okay. could say Wednesday or Thursday difficulty. Okay. That that seems to uh, I would say that seems to track for me, especially I definitely notice a difference in my solving abilities moving from Wednesday to Thursday. Like I feel like when you move into Thursday, it's like, all right, the rubber the the rubber is hitting the road now when you get into those Thursday, Friday, Saturday puzzles. It definitely goes up a notch. Well, you know, I it's funny. A lot of people will tell me, Oh, I'm a Monday, Tuesday, maybe a Wednesday solver, but I can't do the Thursdays and I definitely can't do the Fridays and the Saturdays. And then they usually finish by saying, And I definitely can't do the Sundays. And I said, Well, but if you can do the Wednesdays, right. you can most likely do the Sundays. Right. I don't think there is that much of a difference in difficulty in a Thursday puzzle than a Wednesday puzzle when it comes to individual clues. Uh, you might see more question mark clues, which means that there's some wordplay afoot. Um, you might have to think more laterally. But that's the whole reason behind the guide that we have up on the top of the wordplay section, how to solve the New York Times crossword puzzle. It's there to break down each type of clue so that you recognize it and you can practice with little minis that were written by Sam Azursky at the end of each chapter. And you're at least aware that these things exist right. so that you're not caught short. Right. In addition to writing wordplay and solving puzzles, you yourself are a crossword maker. How does... How does someone get started as a constructor of crossword puzzles? That's a great question. For me, it was quite a few years ago when my, my kids were small and I needed a creative outlet that didn't have anything to do with Pokemon or Elmo. <laughs> uh, it's an affliction I can identify with. <laughs> see? Yeah, there you go. Everybody gets into it for their own reason, usually because they solve the puzzle and then say, well, that doesn't look so hard. I can do that. Right. Now, ultimately, that's true. <laughs> However, there is a very steep learning curve sure. to making a crossword puzzle. In order to get into it, my suggestion, I think the, the first place to start, it's, it's always good to be a puzzle solver mm -hmm. and to solve as many as you can, because that helps you sort of get into the rhythm of what a good published puzzle looks like and what it feels like when you're solving it. Uh, and there are other resources. Um, Patrick Berry, who is one of the best constructors out there, has a book on his uh, website, which is aframegames.com. And uh, that's $10 to download. I highly recommend that. If people are on Facebook, there is a wonderful group called the Crossword Puzzle Collaboration Directory, which is meant to uh, hook up underrepresented groups of uh, crossword makers 
uh, with mentors who can teach them how to make a professional puzzle. And I highly recommend that. I learned from a mentor. And, you know, because there are so many little rules about how, what, that you have to follow to make a good crossword, um, I think trying to do it by yourself is sort of banging your head against the wall. Having someone who can immediately say to you, you know, this is great, but we don't have two letter entries in American crossword puzzles is, is a, a huge yeah. help. And you learn a lot faster. Some people want to do it themselves. I recommend finding a mentor. And there are two groups on Facebook, cruciverb.com, I believe, on Facebook, the Cruciverb uh, group. And um, we are also looking for uh, more people from underrepresented groups, people of color, women, LGBTQ+. Plus. Mm-hmm. And the Crossword Puzzle Collaboration Directory is there to ask questions, learn a little bit about uh, constructing, and ultimately to hook you up with somebody who knows what they're doing and can help you get published. I feel like I've I've seen your byline on puzzles in the Times. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. And where where else have you... That's the other thing that I think, I mean, like we... So many we think of the New York Times crossword puzzle because again, like I said off the top, it's kind of it's an A-lister when it comes to puzzles. But like, there's so many great outlets for for crossword puzzles. So where else would we have seen your work? Well, I don't construct that much anymore. I've sort of let writing take over my <laughs> life. But I started out with a Sunday New York Times debut. And I, back then, things worked a little differently. There weren't as many um, syndicates and uh, you could submit puzzles to a lot of different newspapers. Some of them are still with us. Some of them are not anymore. (laughs) I uh, did very well at the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times. I was one of the original constructors with the AV Club Onion Crossword, Mm, which is now the AVCX puzzle, which is a terrific indie puzzle. And I also created the world's first X-rated crossword for Bust Magazine, (laughs) which is a feminist uh, crafty magazine for women. So when you when you I know you said you don't do it as much anymore, um, but and I, I say this also recognizing I imagine for there's as many different styles as there are crossword puzzle makers out there. But for when you, Deb Amlin, sit down and you're going to do a puzzle, are you starting with a theme in mind? Are you starting with a series of clues? Like what what is kind of the the genesis of a puzzle when you're when you're first getting into it? I tend to be a themed puzzle maker because I come at this like a writer. I'm not, you know, a scientist or a mathematician who is studying grid design and things like that. Uh, So my joy is really in developing the theme. I love playing with words. Uh, So the first thing a themed puzzle needs is to have a polished theme. And that can take a while depending on what you choose because sometimes you know the muse is with you and sometimes it's not right and once you have the theme you take a blank grid and you put the theme entries in the grid and you start to fill in the black squares around it okay and once you have a suitable grid you then fill around the 
theme and this is a very long story because obviously there are things that you have to move around when yep. they don't work but this is the general basic sure. steps toward making the puzzle you fill around it and you try to put the most sparkling lively fill and you try to stay away from partials and all the, the things that people don't enjoy in puzzles <laughs> um and then you write the clues for all those words mm-hmm. so it's theme grid design, fill, and clues. You mentioned a few minutes ago uh, talking about a a Will Shorts edited puzzle, and I'm wondering what that process of working with an editor is like when when you're making a crossword puzzle, and if you, you mentioned some of the different places that you've had puzzles published, if working with different places and different publishers, they're looking for different things in their puzzles by virtue of, of where they are. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I can tell you for a fact that the New York Times is looking for much different things in this puzzles than, you know, The Onion is, or, <laughs> sure. or Bust Magazine is. Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, I was doing some of them at the same time, and it was just so great. I could sit down and make a puzzle for the New York Times, uh, The Gray Lady, and then I could turn around, let down my hair, and write something <laughs> really, really funky for Bust right. Magazine. Right. Right. Uh, that was a lot of fun. So yeah, I think I think it absolutely pays to know your market. Um, you know, you don't have to have an MBA, MBA, but you do need to know what your audience is. It, it's not really even down to the editors. It's down to will this fly in the New York Times? Right. And right. Will has a pretty good grip on that. You know, I haven't worked with him in a while on a puzzle, but you know, he's willing to give feedback to. Uh, aspiring constructors. I know that uh, the people who work with him, Joel Faliano and Sam Mazursky, are very much in touch with constructors who submit puzzles and will work with them if there are issues in the puzzle or if it's not quite ready for prime time, they will give feedback and work with the constructor until it's ready to go. Is that process, is it, I mean, I I guess I imagine it could be about anything. Is it most often about kind of phrasing of clues or is it if we don't want to we don't want this answer in the puzzle like because I'm trying to think about like I mean it's very easy to put yourself in the mindset of because I'm, I'm a writer as well and I think about the kinds of things that we go in and look for when we're editing a piece of writing and I'm trying to kind of imagine a crossword puzzle editor if it's like and this this clue for this day of the week like it's too obscure like you need to tweak that or is it a, is it a more fundamental thing than that I guess well, if something, you know, was really offensive in the puzzle, sure. or let's say some of the entries were just so ex- obscure and they cross each other, uh, the editors will send it back to the constructor and say, you know, we kind of like where this is going, but you have to get rid of that corner. Yep. And you have to redo it. The editors themselves have been known to redo parts of the puzzle. I would say that the majority of it, though, is in the clues. Will rewrites quite a lot of the clues depending on the constructor. Mm -hmm. A newer constructor will always have the majority of their clues rewritten because, uh, and I was guilty of this too in the beginning, you, it's very hard to write a hundred Tuesday level clues. You know, very (laughs) often you'll, you'll have something and you'll think of a really, really evil clue (laughs) for an entry and you know, you're supposed to be (laughs) be clearing this for a Tuesday and it's supposed to be easy, but you just can't help 
putting it in and hoping that Will will take it. Um, but Will is very good at, and, and Joel is very, are, are very good at keeping the levels relatively consistent for the day of the week. I mean, that's always going to, there's always going to be one or two that people go, huh? But uh, by and large, uh, you know, I think it's, I, I think it's good that they have a hand in the editing. Well, that's interesting. And you mentioned that there too, and I, it totally makes sense. But this idea of you have these two really obscure answers crossing each other, because I, again, as a solver, you sit there and it's like, all right, I have no idea what it is going that way, but maybe I can get something going across. And if they're both super obscure, then you're like, okay, well, I guess this is going to be kind of a wasteland corner. I'm going to leave aside for a little while now. Right. And, yeah. No, that's really interesting. And that's what I, that's what I usually recommend. If, if people can't get a, um, a specific entry or the crossing, put the puzzle down for a while and walk mm -hmm. away, do something else because you'd be surprised how your brain works on things in the background while you're doing other things. And uh, when you come back to it, you very often find that you can tackle things you couldn't tackle 20 minutes ago. Right. So that's a, that's a great tip right there as we're, we're wrapping up here. As I said, I, I definitely no, notice a change in my abilities going from Wednesday to Thursday. So if someone listening to this wants to get better at solving, I'm sure there's not just like this this magic trick to doing it, but what would your your main piece of advice to someone who wants to, I, and I have a guess what it might be, but I, I want to hear what you say, what your main piece of advice would be. It's, it's like getting to Carnegie Hall. Practice. Practice. You have to solve in order to become a better solver. Um, every now and then, uh, you'll find a clue that, and you don't know what the heck the clue is asking you to do, but a, a light will go on. You know, the proverbial cartoon light bulb will go on over your head, and you'll get it. And most people are moving through life so fast that they don't even stop to notice that they just learned something and that they can, can carry that on to the next puzzle. Again, I think that it's really good to practice. I think that it's good to, uh, I'm going to do, this is pretty shameless. It's good to read the wordplay column. Yes. Not only just for my bad jokes, but also because <laughs> I spend a lot of time explaining what the clues are asking you to do. That is mm. the fundamental thing that makes people a better solver. It's not being intimidated by what you do or don't know. It's about understanding that the clues are written to give you, to get you to the answer. If you see that the clue is a plural, the answer has to be a plural. Right away, that will make you a much better solver if you understand that. There are people who don't know that if a, the clue is a part of speech, like a noun, then the answer has to be a noun. A clue in a foreign language will mean the answer has to be in that foreign language. And that is something that will immediately make people a, a much better solver. Pe pe there are a lot of people who surprisingly don't know that. Right. And I, I've definitely found that just in my own, to your point about practicing, it, it's almost, I don't know if I want to call it the language of crossword puzzle clues, but you really, the more you do, you become so much more well-versed in this is what, this is the kind of answer it's pointing me to. And I, okay, so now I, I'm at least in that headspace and it gives me a lot better shot of trying to figure out what that answer is. Exactly. And just another shameless plug, 
it, the word wordplay is not just a daily column it's a whole section and we have besides the constructor shout outs we also have a weekly feature called what the heck is that where we take <laughs> a, an entry that stumped a lot of our solvers and we explain it and then we show them how it might be clued so that they know what what to expect the next time they run into it we have a series of articles that are by topic so things like you know eight european rivers you need to know to be a better crossword <laughs> solver um and that is under the words to know section of wordplay we have so many different resources for people you know if your wheelhouse is not good. Like, for example, my wheelhouse when it comes to sports is just terrible. <laughs> I, I know nothing, almost nothing. I know Mel Ott just because he comes up so <laughs> he comes much. comes up a lot, right. Right. And, or Bobby Orr. <laughs> and, you know, we had Sam Azursky, who is the associate puzzle editor, wrote some articles for me um, about things like that. Ten sports names you need to know to be a better crossword solver. So if you are looking to improve your wheelhouse or your area of expertise in some way, that series of articles, I think, can be very helpful. And so for folks looking for wordplay, obviously it's in the physical paper. I'm... No, it's we're we're online only. <laughs> but thank you. Obviously, it's online only. <laughs> it's online. Um <laughs> and so I is it part of the New York Times app as well? Uh there is a I believe there is a link to it okay. in the app. If you go to the Daily Puzzle, you can uh click on something that says read all about it on wordplay or okay. i think it's on if you're in the puzzle it's under the uh the buoy okay you know, there's a little life buoy yep. there we i think it's it's best to read us on uh laptop on the web because there you can readily find all the different articles and yep. things that you need to know and you're also on twitter i know that Oh yes, yes. We I run the uh, Word New York Times Wordplay account, and we have a lot of fun. If people tweet to me that they finish the puzzle without looking anything up, which honestly I think I think looking things up is just fine, or that they did it and uh, it's the first time they've ever completed one, and they tweet to me, I will give them a gold medal emoji and kind of cheer them on because it's really all about you know recognizing your accomplishments and being able to do the new york times crossword is an accomplishment deb amlin thanks so much this was this was so much fun to talk about puzzles with you today thank you i had fun too with a side of knowledge is a production of the office of the provost at the university of notre dame our website is with a side of pod dot nd dot edu